Hello, if there's anyone listening, let's all take a deep breath. Nothing really matters. Um, so I, um, as I, I said, I think before, am experimenting with um, switching my sleep schedule back to diurnal hours on my week off. And because of this, I um, wasn't uh, keeping track of the days and forgot to record an episode for Friday. So I'm going to attempt to record two episodes tonight and, um, yeah, to make up for not having released one on Friday. Because I value consistency. Um, consistency, I guess, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, because what is consistency anyway, um other than a perceived pattern of behavior, uh, but I nonetheless value the perception, um, of consistency and the consistency, providing a consistent experience. So, yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, tonight, I'm going to be exploring the Wikipedia page for the United Arab Emirates, and, uh, this is because I have two downloads from the United Arab Emirates, and I would like to know what an emirate is, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to find out, because there is no link that I can see for that particular word. Um, Elect a monarchy form of government. Emirates. Oh, oh, here we go. Emirates? Okay. Uh, Okay, an emirate is a political territory that is ruled by a dynastic Arabic or Islamic monarch style M Emmer M Emmer Emmer And that word is an a uh, word of Arabic origin that can refer to a male monarch, aristocrat, holder of high ranking military or political office, or other person possessing actual or ceremonial authority. So do they have to be male? So if a female were to um, elective monarchy, I normally don't go into the politics area because that's a little, politics can be a little absurd. Um, Elected by federal, okay. So Hypothetically, if a female monarch 
was elected by the uh, by the federal supreme council would the united arab emirates have to change their name to whatever the female version maybe there isn't one what would it, what would the united arab emirates be called if that were the case, they probably wouldn't actually change their name. That would be kind of impractical, but... Uh, anyway. Let's move on to um, more material realities. Uh, I guess those are material realities. Let's move on to... Um, let's move on to geography. Um... Okay, so so uh, the United Arab Emirates um, coast stretches for nearly six hundred and fifty kilometers along the southern shore of the Persian Gulf, briefly interrupted by an isolated outcrop of the Sultan, uh, Sultanate of Oman. Six of the emirates are on situ are on what? Is that a typo? Six of the emirates are on situated along the Persian Gulf. I think that's a typo. And the seventh Fujairah is on the eastern coast of the peninsula with direct access to the Gulf of Oman. Most of the coast consists of salt pans that extend 8 to 10 kilometers inland. The largest natural harbor is at Dubai, although other ports have been dredged at Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, and elsewhere. What are salt pans? I think I have an idea, but... Uh, oh, same as salt flats. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Are flat expanses of ground covered with salt and other minerals, usually shining white under the sun. They are found in deserts and are, naturally f are natural formations, unlike salt evaporation ponds, which are artificial. A salt pan forms by evaporation of water, of a water pool such as a lake or pond. This happens in climates where the rate of water evaporation exceeds the rate of precipitation, that is, in a desert. If the water cannot drain into the ground, it remains on the surface until it evaporates, leaving behind minerals precipitated from the salt ions dissolved in the water. Over thousands of years, the minerals, usually salts, accumulate on the surface. These minerals reflect the sun's rays through radiation and often appear as white areas. Okay. Very interesting. Um, let's see. Salt pans. Okay. The smaller islands... Uh, okay. Numerous islands are found in the Persian Gulf, and it's on the ownership 
of some of these has been subject to international disputes, which is, again, um, right, so the islands are thought by some people to be a part of the Emirates and by other people thought not to be a part of the Emirates, it appears. Um, the smaller islands, as well as many coral reefs and shifting sandbars, are a menace to navigation. A menace to navigation. So, yeah. Maybe don't try navigating them. Uh, if you don't have a lot of confidence in your navigation skills. But if you are a navigator looking for a challenge, perhaps that might be a good place to travel to test your navigational skills. Yeah, because of the strong tides and occasional windstorms, that also complicates ship movements near the shore, so yeah, there you go. There you go. You've been warned. Don't say I didn't warn you. Um, south and west of Abu Dhabi, fast rolling sand dunes merge into the Rub al-Khali empty quarter of Saudi Arabia. The desert area of Abu Dhabi includes two important oases with adequate underground water for permanent settlements and cultivation. That's good news. Okay, biodiversity. Um, UAE contains four terrestrial ecoregions, Al-Hajar, uh, Montane Woodlands, Gulf of Oman Desert and Semi-Desert, Al-Hajar Foothill, uh, Ex, um, Exric, that's probably not how you pronounce it, Woodlands and Shrublands, and Al-Hajar Montane Woodlands and Shrublands. The oases grow date palms, acacia, and eucalyptus trees. In the desert, the flora is very sparse and consists of grasses and thorn bushes. The indigenous fauna had come close to extinction because of intensive hunting, which has led to conservation program uh, to a conservation program on Sirbani Yas Island, initiated by Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nayan in the 1970s, resulting in the survival of, for example, Arabian oryx, Arabian camel, and leopards. Nice job. Um, coastal fish and mammals consist mainly of mackerel, perch, and tuna, as well as sharks and whales. Climate. The climate of the UAE is subtropical arid, with hot summers and warm winters. The climate is categorized as, as desert climate. The hottest months are July and August, 
when average maximum temperatures reach above 45 degrees Celsius on the coastal plain. In the Al Hajar Mountains, temperatures are considerably lower, a result of increased elevation. Average minimum temperatures in January and February are between 10 and 14 degrees Celsius. During the late summer months, a human southwest wind known as Sharky, uh, i.e. Easterner, makes the coastal region especially unpleasant. Well, I would argue that that's a subjective assessment. I'm sure that for some creatures, uh, such a climate would be pleasant, but this Wikipedia page is written by humans, presumably. The average annual rainfall in the coastal area is less than 120 millimeters, but in some mountainous areas, annual rainfall often reaches 350 millimeters. Rain in the coastal region falls in short, torrential bursts during the summer months. That's kind of cool. I mean, I'm sure it's very convenient, but I feel like I would enjoy that if I took a trip to the United Arab Emirates. I would enjoy those short torrential bursts. I think uh, that would be a memorable experience. Um, the region is prone to occasional dust storms, which can severely reduce visibility. So, the climate and weather conditions and stuff are pretty interesting to me, since, you know, that's not um, anything like where I live, although I'm sure the people who live in the United Arab Emirates don't find it interesting at all because that's just what they're used to. Um, I think part of the reason that, no, well, I guess not the reason because if it was the reason, then it would be something that I thought of ahead of time, which I did not think of it ahead of time. But it occurs to me that these episodes might be um, good sleep material for those living in said country, uh, whatever country I'm doing the episode on, because you likely already know most of these things, and it's probably all very commonplace for you, so me reading all about the climate and the animals and plants of the country that you live in is probably pretty mundane. So, uh, I hope that if you're from the United Arab Emirates and you're listening to this episode, that it has been very boring for you and that you are already asleep. Um, 
it didn't take me too long to go through this Wikipedia article. So I'm thinking about doing a second one. And if I were to do a second one, it would. Uh, so I literally just, I accidentally stopped recording and I proceeded to read off a bunch of sections of the Wikipedia page for the country of Germany. Um, just apparently to myself, uh, not being recorded or anything, just sitting in my living room uh, at almost 2 a.m., talking out, reading out loud from the Wikipedia page for Germany um, to no end, uh, I guess, with my own education. But I could have just, if I wanted to just learn about Germany, I could have just read the Wikipedia page, but I was reading it out loud because I thought that I was recording myself. Um, but I was not. So there you have it. Um, some more absurdity for you. Um, yeah, well, I think, um, I'm trying to decide if I just want to, if I'm going to just reread everything I just read. Um, let me make sure that this is still recording. Um, I will say that Germany is the seventh largest country in Europe, and the elevation ranges from the mountains of the Alps in the south to the shores of the North Sea in the northwest and the Baltic Sea in the northeast. Um, and that the forested uplands of central Germany and the lowlands of northern Germany are traversed by such major rivers as the Rhine, Danube, and Elbe, or El I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing those right, um, and that significant natural resources include iron ore, coal, potash, timber, lignite, uranium, copper, natural gas, salt, and nickel. And I did click on the link for potash, not sure what that was, and it turns out that it is a type of uh, salt that is manufactured, um, and it's like potassium in a water-soluble form, um, which used to be created by plant wood ashes soaked in water in a pot. Um, and actually, this is where the word potassium is actually derived from. So there's some information for you about that. And also, I didn't actually click on lignite or linite um, to see what that is. Uh, often referred to as brown coal, it is a soft brown combustible sed sedimentary rock formed from naturally compressed peat. It has a carbon content around 25 to 35% and is considered the lowest rank of coal due to its relatively low heat content.
Okay. Okay, yeah. Lignite begins as an accumulation of partially decayed plant material or peat. Peat accumulates most readily in areas where there is ample moisture. Slow subsidence of the land surface and lack of disturbance by rivers or oceans. Peat swamps are otherwise found in a wide variety of climates and geographical settings. Under these conditions, the area remains saturated with water, which covers dead plant material and protects it from degradation by atmospheric oxygen. Anaerobic bacteria may continue to degrade the peat, but this process is slow, particularly in acid water. Once the peat is buried by other sediments, biological degradation essentially comes to a halt, and further changes are a result of increased temperature and pressure from burial. Lignite forms from peat that has not experienced deep burial and heating. It forms at temperatures below 100 degrees Celsius, primarily by biochemical degradation. This includes humification, in which microorganisms extract hydrocarbons from the peat and humic acids are formed. Humic acids make the environment more acidic, which slows the rate of further bacterial decay. Humification is still incomplete in lignite, coming to completion only when the coal reaches subbituminous rank. The most characteristic chemical change in the organic material during the formation of lignite is the sharp reduction in the number of C, O, and C, O, R functional groups. I don't, I don't even know how to read that properly. Lignite deposits are typically younger and higher ranked coals uh, than higher ranked coals, with the majority of them having formed during the tertiary period. Okie doke. Lignite can be separated into two types. The first is xyloid lignite or fossil wood, and the second form is the compact lignite or perfect lignite. Although uh, xyloid lignite may sometimes have the tenacity and the appearance of ordinary wood. It can be seen that the combustible woody tissue has experienced a great modification. It is reducible to a fine powder by trit trituration, trituration, and if submitted to the action of a weak solution of potash, callback, it yields a considerable quantity of humic acid. Leonardite is an oxidized form of lignite, which also contains high levels of humic acid. Jet is a hardened gem-like form of lignite used in various types of jewelry. Oh, interesting. So there you have it. That is an explanation from Wikipedia of lignite. Um, and 
lignite is a significant natural resource of the country of Germany, which we were previously reading about, and whose Wikipedia page I will not return to, to say that most of Germany has a temperate climate ranging from oceanic in the north to continental in the east and southeast. Winters range from the cold in the southern Alps to mild and are generally overcast with limited precipitation, while summers can vary from hot and dry to cool and rainy. The northern re regions have prevailing westerly winds that bring in moist air from the North Sea, moderating the temperature and increasing precipitation. Conversely, the southeast regions have more extreme temperatures. The territory of Germany can be divided into five terrestrial ecoregions. Atlantic mixed forests, Baltic mixed forests, Central European mixed forests, Western European broadleaf forests, and Alps conifer and mixed forests. As of 2016, 51% of Germany's land area is devoted to agriculture, while 30% is forested and 14% is covered by settlements or infrastructure. Plants and animals include those generally common to Central Europe, including the National Forest, um, according to the National Forest Inventory, beeches, oaks, and other deciduous trees constitute just over 40% of the forests, and roughly 60% are conifers, particularly spruce and pine. There are many species of fern, flowers, fungi, and mosses. While animals include roe deer, wild boar, mouflon, subspecies of wild sheep, fox, badger, hare, and small numbers of Eurasian beaver. The blue cornflower was once a German national symbol. The 16 national parks in Germany include the Jasmund National Park, the Vorpommern Lagoon Area National Park, the Müritz National Park, the Wadensee National Parks, that one's plural for some reason, the Harz National Park, the Hainish National Park, the Black Forest National Park, the Saxon, Saxon Switzerland, Saxon Switzerland National Park, the Bavarian Forest National Park, and the Birch Tisgaden National Park. In addition, there are 17 biosphere reserves and 105 nature parks. 105 nature parks. What are biosphere reserves? Uh, there doesn't appear to be a specific um, there doesn't appear to be a specific page on Wikipedia explaining biosphere reserves. However, um, you can do your own research on your own time. Um, and there you have it. That is the... Those are some things that Wikipedia has to say about the country of Germany.
Uh, today, um, I was able to go on a walk with my husband and my little guy, and, um, we went, walked down to the Shoppers Drug Mart where we got some groceries, um, including some oat milk and uh, some frozen hamburgers, chicken strips, dairy-free ice cream, um, what else did we get? Some paper towel, which we desperately needed, um, and not so desperately needed, I picked up some more sheet masks, um, and a new color of nail polish. I haven't painted my nails in probably, I hesitate to say, a year, because I feel like I might have painted them the odd time, but there was a time in my life where I painted my nails, like, every week. Um, but I've been finding lately that I just... do too much with my hands um, to justify putting the effort into painting my nails with um, yeah with you know just plain old uh, drugstore nail polish that kind of chips usually after a few days um, however during the weekends that I work so I didn't work this weekend but I will work uh, a few days this week, and then I'm going to be working all weekend. I work all weekend, every second weekend, and those weekends are, you know, a bit tough to get through. So, um, and because I'm working all weekend, I don't have much time to do chores around the house. So I am thinking that I will paint my nails on Thursday or Friday night. And then hopefully be able to enjoy having nice painted nails throughout the weekend um, to kind of cheer me up a little bit when I start to lose steam. And that they won't chip as quickly because I will be neglecting my dishes at home. Then, you know, once I'm off, for a week, I will um, resume my household chores and the nail polish will likely start to chip and then I'll just take it off and I will repaint it before my next work weekend. So I got a new color of nail polish. It's actually not, well, it's, you would say it's a color, I guess, but it's not really because it's like a one of the glittery kinds, um, which I may regret later because I have found that the glitter pieces tend to stick to your nails, and then when you're trying to remove the polish, you basically have to scrape them off. But we'll see. I think, depending on the quality of the nail polish, it might be a little bit easier to remove, a little bit smoother. Um, but this is kind of like a 
deep green with uh, glitter and it's called um, I think it's called uh, something about the sea and if I was less lazy I would get up and go get it to see what it's called I always wanted to have the job of, nail of naming nail polish colors um, so yeah I look forward to using that this weekend, this coming weekend, and um, I also got those sheet masks, and I'm storing both the nail polish and the sheet masks in the refrigerator, um, because I had heard that if you store nail polish in the fridge, it uh, has a smoother application. And I had also heard, well, they have those skincare fridges, which the very existence of which seems to imply that you should be keeping your skincare products in the fridge. Um, I did a little bit of research and um, I wasn't able to find any super reputable sources on the subject. I think, I think it's a little silly to buy an individual skincare fridge and unless you have a particular um, occupation such as, um, skincare influencer or dermatologist or esthetician, um, but, uh, I, so I wasn't really able to find any conclusive information about whether or not it would be beneficial to keep my sheet masks in the fridge. However, I did um, find a lot of sources saying that generally if you keep your skincare products cold um, and they're cold when you apply them it can be helpful for um, puffiness and inflammation so uh, I suppose it doesn't hurt to keep them in the fridge and we'll see how that works out so, yeah, um, what else did we get at Shopper's Drug Mart? I got a prescription refilled. Um, I get these texts now that tell me when my prescriptions are in, um, and then I take forever to go get them, which I feel bad about, because if they're sending those texts out to a bunch of people, and, like, other people are like me and don't go get their prescriptions, then... They're filling the prescriptions and then they're just sitting around and it's probably hard to find space for all of them. Whereas before I would have to go or call them and ask them to refill the prescription. Now they just seem to do it automatically. So, um, yeah, we got some coffee, um, some, I already said oat milk. ice cream, paper towel, um, we thought about getting some more baby spoons because we seem to be, um, missing a couple and we do go through them, we go through multiple spoons per meal because he throws them on the floor and he also insists, uh, usually on holding at least one spoon. So, 
um, if we want to kind of hasten the process of him eating by feeding him. He does know how to use a spoon. He can use a spoon. He just doesn't always want to use it the way that it's intended to be used. So sometimes we, most of the time, I kind of help him along by using a, an additional spoon to feed him while he's making a mess with the other one. Um, so we thought about getting more spoons, but then we... <sighs> We concluded that it's pretty quick to wash these spoons. Um, so even if he does throw like three of them on the floor, we can easily wash them. Now he might not be patient with us while we're doing that because he doesn't like to wait for his next spoonful of food. Um, but that's, that's life. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to wait for things and, uh, we need to prepare him for harsh reality, harsh, harsh realities such as that. Um, and we looked at some other baby snacks and considered buying them, but uh, we already have like three containers of three, three boxes of rice rusks and a couple boxes of cereal. <sighs> And we've tried those little star puffs before. We've gotten uh, a tube of those little star puffs that you can get, but my husband actually ate most of those. Um, so we need to kind of be careful. He did the same thing with the arrowroot cookies that we bought a little bit ago. We need to be kind of careful what baby snacks we buy. Um, because if they're too yummy, then... His dad will probably eat them. Um, yep. So, um, yeah, we did that, and there was a lady at the um, at the drugstore that saw him and commented on how cute he was. And uh, because of the pandemic, we haven't really taken him out that much. I mean, we've definitely taken him on walks and occasionally to the grocery store. Not really actually to the grocery store, but like to smaller stores like the drugstore and um, places like that. So it's not like he hasn't been out, but we haven't gone out with him as much as we might have um, under our different circumstances. So we haven't gone to show him off as much. Um, and it is my belief that he is the cutest baby in the world. Um, I recognize that I may be biased in that regard. However, um, he is cute. That's just objectively true. He's incredibly cute. Um, so this lady was just commenting on that. And he was pretty quiet the whole trip, just kind of like looking around. Um, he kind of, sometimes he's just in observation mode and he just watches and looks and observes and takes everything in. And then once he's done enough of that, then he starts to be a little bit more active and chat a little bit. Um, so 
Uh, yep. And... ordered some books for his birthday. I have ordered him books recently, but I, they weren't, like, I ordered them along with the birthday stuff, but I hadn't really, like, decided to, to wait to, till his birthday to give them to him, so I've just been reading them to him when they get here. But I'll try and save these books for him to unwrap on his birthday. Um, If he can unwrap them, he might just put the wrapped gifts in his mouth. Um, so then we'll have to unwrap them before we let him do that, lest the wrapping paper dissolve in his mouth and he swallow it. Uh, but anyway, I bought a couple of books on Amazon for his birthday. Um, I've noticed that he is particularly interested in books that have um, real photography of people in them. He only has a couple of those. Um, and because, again, of the pandemic and us not taking him out as much and him not having as much contact with other kids and other people, I thought it would be good to get um, some books with pictures of real people in them. Um, so... I got, let's see here, I got um, a book called Show Me Happy, which uh, by a lady named Catherine Madeline Allen, and it appears to be um, a book full of pictures of Maybe a book full of pictures of happy kids. I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's got pretty good reviews. Um, and I also got a book entitled Hands Can uh, by someone named Cheryl Willis Hudson. And, um, It's basically a rhyming book with photographs, um, kind of detailing things that you can do with your hands. Um, I think you'll find that interesting. And um, on the cover is a little, it appears to be a little girl squatting down and um, on the ground and looking at something she has in her hand. Or maybe she's gardening. She has a sun hat on and bare feet. Um, and the third book that I ordered for him is uh, First 100 Words. So it's obviously got 100 words in it, uh, accompanied by, I think it looks like actual photographs of the items that... Um, the words are words for, um, so that should be fun. 
uh, he, I don't know if he has said his first word yet, because, um, it seems sometimes like he's saying that, or these, or those, or there, like, but it's hard to tell, uh, if that's what he's trying to say. He does it when he points, so that what's me that's what makes me wonder if that's what he's trying to say, but I don't know for sure. Um so I guess time will tell if he continues to point and use those words or use those sounds as he learns words, then those sounds were probably words. Um So, that might be all for me for this episode. Uh, see if I have it in me to record that second episode after this one. Um, take it, I'll take a bit of a break first. And, um, where, wherever in the world you are, um, whatever you did today, Whatever cosmetics you do or don't have in your fridge, whether you have a skincare fridge or just a regular fridge, I hope there's nobody out there with only a skincare fridge because that doesn't make very much sense to me. Um, but hey, maybe I'm just ignorant to the benefits of a regular fridgeless lifestyle. So if you're listening to this and you have a skincare fridge but no regular flip fridge, please email me and enlighten me as to um just uh explain your ways. Um but until then I hope you have a very peaceful sleep.